I saw my phone yesterday. I got this weather app that says the heat. Anybody know what the heat index is? Yesterday, the heat index was 111. 111. I don't think I've ever seen that. And I think it has to do with how it actually feels outside, right? And uh, I think it's going to be like that again today, something like that, right? And I think we got a few more days like that. But I'm grateful that I'm going to heaven, aren't you? Because I don't like the heat, if you know what I mean. I don't like the heat. So good to be with you. Yes, filling in for Pastor Ron once again. Uh, we're going to continue our series entitled Mended. And if you weren't here the past couple of weeks, uh, I would encourage you, you can listen online to the, um, you know, some of the messages that are archived there. Uh, but you can also, what you can do is, um, you know, you can just watch me here this morning. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, just wanted to let you know that we're going to go ahead and continue that series. And, you know, we talked about the fact that, you know, we've all, we've all sinned, Right? All of us have sinned. Everyone has sinned. The Bible says that not one, no one is righteous, not even one. And we talked about the fact that we all need mending. We all need healing because we've all sinned. No one uh, is righteous, not even one. We've all sinned, come short of the glory of God. And the glory of God is Jesus Christ. He is the, the glorious standard that we've all missed. Um, and then we talked about the fact that God generated us, okay, he created us, and that, that word generated can be used for created, but that sin caused degeneration. It breaks down. God built us up, he created us, but sin broke us down, and then God regenerated us through Christ. And we looked at that scripture uh, in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 where it says, it's not by works of righteousness but according to his mercy that God saved us. It's not by our good works. The Bible teaches that our good works, our righteousness, is like filthy rags in God's sight. It's worthless in God's sight. We've all sinned. And that God saves us by his mercy, not getting what we deserve. It's through his mercy that God saves us. And it says, by the washing of regeneration, and that word regeneration is also the same word that's used in 1 Peter chapter 1 where it says, by God's great mercy, we have been born again. So it's by the mercy of God that God regenerates us and being born again is the same as regeneration. And then we talked about what causes a broken heart. What things cause a broken heart? And I think it might have been in this service last week. Somebody shouted, men. Does anybody remember that, men? Somebody shouted kids, okay? But you can understand that a lot of times it's our relationships, you know, a broken relationship that will cause a broken heart. We talked about insults, criticism, and sometimes when we get insulted or criticized from people we don't know, it doesn't really hurt, but it's when we get insulted or criticized from people that we do know, that's what causes the pain, causes the brokenness. We talked about sorrow and sadness being another reason that causes a broken heart. And then I shared with you that just recently, someone that I knew, um, you know, she tried to take her life over sorrow and sadness. So, and, and you know, I, I shared with you that, you know, people are all around us that are in various stages of brokenness. And I, if you remember last week, I said, you know, one thing, if we could pray together, that we would pray that God would give us sensitivity uh, to people around us that are hurting, because they're all around us. And we have the truth. We have been healed. If we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've, had, we've experienced that healing from a broken heart. Then I also shared that sin can cause a broken heart. I shared my own story, how I came to know the Lord, and that it was this sin, the sorrow for my own sin that caused that brokenness and caused me to cry out, Lord, heal me. Lord, forgive me, for I have sinned. And uh, I, I experienced that healing. Uh, but sin caused the, bro the brokenness, but ultimately God healed me. Um, and then we talked about what are the keys to finding healing. We said only God can heal the brokenhearted. 
and God is near to the brokenhearted, God will be with you in your grief, in your despair, in your brokenness. God will be with you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. And that grief and despair, no matter how bad it gets, remember, it's only temporary. And remember, also, there was several, we gave several examples from Scripture about men and women that were healed and received healing. And the key to that healing was their faith in God and his power. And that was critical. That was necessary for healing. And finally, we said that God can use our brokenhearted experience to help others. That's one of the reasons. There's a bigger picture. God has a plan for your life. And there's a bigger picture than just the, the experience that you're going through here and now. God has a bigger picture. And he, there's, there's a purpose that he has, whatever experiencing you're going through. And look with me now. I'm going to share with you the last verse that I shared last week. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. It says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. There's that word again. He's merciful. He's full of mercy. Remember, mercy is not getting what we deserve. He's our merciful Father, and it says He is the source of of all our comfort. And if you think about that, that word source is, is like supply. He is the supply for the comfort that we need. He is the source. And, uh, you know, I, thinking about that, I was, anybody watching the Olympics? If you don't know, the Olympics are on. Real, right? <laughs> Has anybody been watching that? Right? Kind of exciting, seeing your patriotic feelings come out, right? And you start swimming different in the pool and stuff like that. <laughs> But uh, he, he's the source of our comfort. And I heard one of the commentators say that I think it was the women's polo, uh, water polo team, that there's certain people on that team that were the go-to players. That when the team was in trouble and they needed somebody to come through, they needed a score, they had certain individuals that they went to, that they knew that they could rely on, they could count on to supply what they needed. And even if you think about it in your own life, have you ever said he's my go-to person or he's my go-to? I know in, in, in the line of work I do, you know, uh, I'm property, I do property management. And oftentimes, you know, there might be some kind of weather event where I need help. And uh, I, I can think of three years ago. I know it's hard to think of with being 90 degrees out. But three and a half years ago, we had a big snowstorm. I don't know if you remember that. We had like two and a half feet of snow. And it came in like, literally, it came within a... Uh, overnight, okay? But I remember that the contractor that we had to plow out the streets that we're responsible for, he literally, he shut down. He literally shut down. And I had, I had residents, I had communities that were completely shut off. There was no emergency vehicles could get in there. God forbid that there, sh there was a, a heart attack or something like that. There was no way that anyone could get in and get those and, and provide the help to the people that were in those communities. And I remember I had this one person that I knew I could count on when I was in trouble. And I called him, and sure enough, within an hour, he was driving a, a bulldozer down West Queen Street, and he literally plowed out the communities where I needed, I, I, it was my responsibility, ultimately. But he was, and I called him my go-to guy. And the truth of it is, God is our go-to God when we need comfort. He is the source, the supply of all comfort. And verse 4 says this, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. And that word, that phrase right there, so that, remember, if you see that in Scripture, what that means is there's a reason, there's a purpose for what God is doing and the purpose for allowing us to have troubles and to be, receive comfort from God is so that we can use that experience to help others. And it says, when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So today, I want to continue our message, uh, this series on Mended. And what I want to talk about today is, now that we've understood that we all are broken, we understood the causes of our brokenness. We understand how to find healing in our brokenness. I want to talk about 
staying, keeping it together, staying healed, staying mended. Because I think if you look around, it doesn't take long to look around to see that we live in a world that's troubled. Would you not agree with that? You know, we live in a world, it doesn't take long to see, people we know that are going through things, maybe things that you're going through right now. You understand that the world causes trouble, okay? And I want to talk to you today about things that Jesus shared to his own disciples. And he said to them, don't allow your hearts to be troubled. Look with me in John chapter 14. It says this in verse 1. Let me just give you some background before I read it. He says, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he had just given them an example. This is the Last Supper. This is the Passover meal. We refer to it as Last Supper. And he had just done something to give them an example to follow. You remember what it was? He washed their feet, right? He washed their feet. And he also, he also told them two things that would happen. He said, he said his own spirit was troubled because one of them would betray him. Okay, he spoke prophetically. He said, one of you is going to be betray me. And then he also said to Peter, do you remember what he said to Peter? He said he was going away, and then Peter said, well, Lord, I want to go with you. And the Lord said to Peter, you can't go with me. And Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to die for you. And the Lord looked at him, and he said, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times that you knew me. So these two things, he had just told, that he had prophetically said what would happen. One would betray him. It was the same one that he, he took the bread and gave it to. He dipped it and gave it to the, person, the, the disciple that he gave to. He said, that's the one that's going to betray me. And the scripture says he walked out. And when he addresses them in John chapter 14, Judas was no longer there. That's significant. But he also said that Peter would deny him three times. So do you think they might have felt like a little uneasy? Do you understand why their hearts might have been troubled at this point? So he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, trust in God and also trust in me. And that word, trust, <clears throat> you know, he was speaking to um, Hebrew believers. I mean, they knew what it meant to be to have um, trust in God. They understood what it meant to trust a God that they couldn't see. They had a, a strong heritage of trusting God. And he was saying, you trust in God the same way that you trust in God. Trust also in me. And you know, we use that word a lot, that word trust. There's a scripture in Proverbs. Does anybody know what it is? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. We even talked, we, I should say we sang about that tonight. Don't lean on your own understanding. And we often pray that for each other. You know, I pray that you'll trust the Lord with all of your heart like the scripture says. But what is it, you know, it's one thing to say I trust God. But I think it's another thing to actually do what it says. It's another thing to do it. So, uh, this morning, I know that Pastor Ron is the master at object lessons. Okay, he is the expert. There's no, would you not agree that Pastor Ron is the expert at object lessons? But I'm going to attempt an object lesson this morning to illustrate or demonstrate what it means to trust. Okay, so I will need a volunteer. Does anybody want to volunteer? This young man right here, come on up. Glad to see it. <clears throat> How are you? What's your name? Uh, Ryan. Yeah. Ah, nice and long. Good. Good job. How old are you, Ryan? Twelve. Oh, what does your shirt say there? Swing for the fences. You play baseball? Why don't you turn around so everybody can see you? You play baseball? Sometimes. So you swing for the fences? Is that what you do? Yeah. Do you hit a lot of home runs? Oh, yeah? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Ryan's going to help me this morning to teach us what it means to trust. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put this blindfold on you. Now, do you trust me? 
you think so. <laughs> Don't sound too confident there. Okay, now can you see? Yeah. You sure? Okay, now, I want you to face this way. Okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put your hands across your chest like this. Okay? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, that's fine. Now, on the count of three, okay, what I want you to do is to fall, okay? But not frontward, not frontward. <laughs> Make sure you understand that. On the count of three, I want you to fall backwards, okay? All right. Now, I'm going to catch you. Now, you, do you trust me? Uh, yeah, yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Now, I'm going to remember, don't fall until I say three, okay? One. <laughs> two. Oh, wait a minute. Are you sure? Do you trust me? Yeah. Do you trust me with all of your heart? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Still not convincing me. All right. Here we go. I'm ready. One, two, three. <laughs> Wait a minute. You said you trusted me. I'm sorry. You said it with your mouth that you trusted me. It's, it's hard to actually do it, though, isn't it? You sure you can't see? Yeah, okay. All right. All right, here we go. Now, here, move over here a little bit. Okay. Okay, feet together, feet together. Okay. All right, here we go. Remember, don't do it until three. One, two, three. <laughs> now, you would think I would know you or something, right? You know? You would think you would trust me, right? But I, you said you trusted me with all your heart. <laughs> but you just gotta, you just gotta trust, okay? okay? And just leave it up to me, okay? All right, here, turn this way a little bit. You're getting a little turn. Okay. On three, remember. One, two, three. <laughs> Okay, wave to everybody. I'll give you a dollar later. Okay. <laughs> right? But it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to say I trust God. But it's a whole other thing to really do it, right? And what do you think, what do you think is, is the proof? What do you think is the evidence of our trust in God? What would you say? Obedience. Surrender. Would you say peace? You have peace. You're not anxious. You're not fearful. You're not troubled. Okay? So again, this is Jesus. He said, trust in God. He's telling his disciples, trust in God. The same way you trust in a God you can't see, you will need to trust me because you won't be seeing me soon. So you need to trust me the same way you trust in God. In verse 2, it says this, John 14, verse 2. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Think about that for a minute. He says there is more than enough room in my father's home. Isn't it good to know that God's heaven is unlimited? Our home in heaven is unlimited. There's, it's not like as if there's only a certain amount of space, and, and it's, you know, it's restricted. Jesus says there's more than enough room. It's unlimited. And it's a father's home. He says it's a father's home. It's not like it's something that's uncomfortable to us. Where are you, would you say? Where are you most comfortable? Are you most comfortable at home? Would you agree with that? Doesn't that instill comfort in your heart when you realize that Jesus is going to prepare a place for us to his father's home. The original language is actually dwelling places. And there's, there's even a song that was written about this scripture. And does anybody remember it? I've got a mansion. 
just over the hilltop. Anybody remember that song? Any old timers here? Anybody old enough like, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old and someday yonder we'll never more wander but walk on streets that are purest gold. And that scripture, it, other versions call that word mansions, okay? And that kind of gives us the wrong impression. Like we're going to have what we think of here on earth, a mansion. But it's a home. It's a dwelling place within a home. And what Jesus is, remember, he wants to comfort their hearts because they're troubled. He wants to tell them it's his father's home. It's his father's house. It's a place of comfort. And he's going to prepare a place for us. And I don't know about you, but when I think about the fact that Jesus is going to prepare a place for me, it's humbling to me to realize that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is preparing a place. I mean, I think of servants of doing the preparation, not the King of kings and Lord of lords. But Jesus goes to prepare a place for you. And he says, if this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for, for you? And verse 3 says this, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. When everything is ready, when all the preparations have been made. And in the Jewish culture, if you, uh, I did a little research on this, it was very um, normal for when a bride and a groom were engaged that the groom would go away and prepare a home for his bride and come back at some uh, some later time to get his bride. And how many of you know that the church is the bride of Christ? So that Jesus, as the bridegroom, is going away to prepare a place for us. He says, when everything is ready, when all the preparations have been made, he says, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And when he says, I will come and get you, that refers to the rapture of the saints. And I want to talk about that in just a little more detail. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 15. Now this is Paul the Apostle. He's writing to the Thessalonian church. And what had occurred with the church at Thessalonica, the, the believers there became worried and troubled and concerned and in despair that they thought they expected the Lord's return at any moment. And they thought that their loved ones who had died if they died before the Lord came back, they were troubled thinking that they would never see their loved ones again, that they had missed this glorious event of the Lord coming back. So he's speaking these words to bring them comfort, to bring them reassurance. And he says this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 15, he says, we tell you this directly from the Lord. This is not secondhand news. You know, this is direct revelation from God. I want you to be absolutely sure of the um, truthfulness of what I'm about to tell you, okay? I don't want you to have any misunderstanding about this, what I'm about to tell you. This is direct revelation from God. He says, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. So he's trying to assure them that those that have died, in fact, will go to meet the Lord even before us, okay? So don't worry about your loved ones. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him, the Lord, ahead of those who have died. In verse 16, it says this. It says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. And that's exactly what Jesus said. That's exactly the same thing Jesus said. I will come and get you. That's a direct reference to what Jesus said in John chapter 14. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And in the Old Testament, when they wanted to call the people to assembly, to assemble before God, when they wanted to call them out of the camp, they used a trumpet to announce, to make sure they understood, this is the time to meet God. How many of you have been in the military? Do they still do, don't they still use a trumpet in the morning? What do they call that? What was that called? Reveille, right? They call, they call the soldiers to meet, to assemble. It says, 
For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. So Thessalonians, don't worry. Don't be concerned about your believers, your, your family that have died before the Lord comes back. Because the believers who have died will rise from their graves. And the Bible does teach that as soon as we die, absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. As believers in Christ, absent from the body is to be present with, with the Lord. So what he's saying here is that Jesus will return with the spiritual bodies of those who have died, and they'll be joined with new resurrected bodies, glorified bodies when he returns. And first, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. And then verse 17 says this, Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So together, almost simultaneously, those who have died in Christ will literally come out of their graves. We who are still alive and remain on the earth when the Lord comes will be caught up. And that word or that phrase, caught up, when it's translated in Latin, it, the Latin word for it is raptus, R-A-P-T-U-S. And that word, what it literally means is to be snatched away, to be seized or snatched away. And if you think about it, Think about the word raptor, okay? Bird of prey, a raptor. What do they do when they, when they go to, to feed? They, they come down on the water and they snatch away the fish, their meal, right? So that's, what that, that's where we get that word, the word rapture. Although it's not found in the English Bible, that's where the word rapture comes from. Those who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And some of you might be saying right now, meet the Lord in the air. I don't know if I want to meet the Lord in the air. I'm afraid of heights. Don't worry about it. You will have a glorified body. The Bible teaches that in a moment, in the twinkling, in the blink of an eye, it'll happen. And we'll have glorified bodies. There will be no more fear. You won't have fear. Those who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up, snatched away in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, then we will be with the Lord forever. And I don't know about you, but if you're looking for comfort, remember, God is the source of all comfort. There's nothing more comforting to know than the fact that that moment that happens, that we will be with the Lord forever. And if you're a believer here this morning, there shouldn't be any thought that brings you more comfort than to realize that in heaven, I don't know how it's going to be like, but one thing I know about it, Jesus will fill heaven with his presence. And we will be with the Lord forever. And if that doesn't comfort you, I don't know what will. And verse 18 says this, so encourage each other with these words. And that word in another version is translated comfort. So again, he's looking, we're looking to the God of all comfort. He's the source of our comfort. And it says to comfort or encourage each other with these words. What words? The fact that the Lord himself will come down, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, and how many of you know it could happen any moment? And, and the believers in Thessalonica, they believed, and Paul, as Paul did, that it was imminent, that it could happen at any moment, and so should we. We should believe that. And not only that, we should know this portion of Scripture, and we should, because it says to encourage one another, to comfort one another with these words. And I know that there's a lot of books written, and there's a lot of people that want to debate about when it's going to happen. When is the rapture going to happen? But that is not the purpose for, for this, this uh, text in, in the scripture right here. It's not the purpose. The purpose is that we comfort or encourage one another. It's far more important. Jesus commanded us to go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel. Teaching them to obey all the things I've commanded you. And we do that. I thank God for Faith Living Church because that's what we do here. How many of you know, how many, were say, how many kids came to know the Lord at VBA this past summer? Does anybody remember the number? 215 kids. 
215 kids. Thank God. Amen. Amen. It's far more important for us as believers to be, pre be preoccupied with doing the Lord's work, bringing others to know Christ, sharing Christ, being a witness to a dark world, than debating over the fact that when is the rapture going to happen? I mean, churches have been divided over the, this, <laughs> you know, folks. So I just want to encourage you and comfort you with those words. And you should do that with each other, too. Look with me, John chapter 14 and verse 3. Let's go back to that verse. It says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And that's exactly what Paul the Apostle said would happen. That moment when Jesus returns to get us, we will always be with him. And again, there's no, nothing more comforting because remember, he's talking to his disciples. He's trying to comfort them because they have troubled hearts. Be comforted in knowing that we will be with the Lord forever. And, and sometimes I honestly, you know, I'll just say, Lord, I just want to be with you. I just, you know, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you, Lord. And that should be the cry of everyone, every believer that's here this morning. Verse 4 says this. It says, and you know the way to where I am going. Now, this is Jesus, again, speaking to his disciples. It says, and you know the way to where I am going. Now, before GPS, some of you younger kids, what we used to do before GPS is we actually stopped people on the street to get directions. Okay? We actually did that. How many of you have done that? Okay? So when you talk, and this happened to me a lot, I have to confess, and I think it happens to men more than it happens to women. But when we used to stop somebody to find, and I didn't know where I was going, somebody would give us directions. Okay, you know here, you know here, you know here, you know, go here, go here, take a right, take a left. And you'd be shaking your head, like, right? You know where, you, especially men, you know, because we're kind of proud when it comes to directions. And you'd be shaking your head, but inside you're saying, no, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> Well, Thomas, Thomas, listen to what Thomas says. Jesus says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Verse 5 says, no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. Thank God. He might be doubting, but thank God he was honest. He was honest. He said, no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Now think about it. He just told, Jesus just told his disciples, where was he going? He was going to his father's home to prepare a place. So he had just told them. And it, it kind of amazes me. And you can see that Jesus, uh, you know, is, is probably trying to understand why, you know, they don't understand. Because it's important that they do understand. Because they need to have that same trust in, in him that they have in God. And, I, and again, I, I look at this and I say, you know, I'm kind of amazed that, Thomas didn't have the understanding. But I think about my own life and how many years went that I didn't understand the things of God. How many years went I knew about Jesus, but I didn't really know Jesus. So before you cast judgment, think about your own life. Verse 5 says, No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Verse 6 says this, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that word the, is it not important? He didn't say, Jesus didn't say he is a way. He is a life among a multitude of choices. He said he is the exclusive way, the exclusive truth, and the exclusive life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And this is not a popular belief. How many of you know in our culture today? So many people, if you talk to, they think it's too narrow-minded to think that Jesus is the only way. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He is the exclusive approach to God. And he says he doesn't tell them the way. He doesn't point the way. He doesn't say, he doesn't show them the way. He says, I am the way. So access to, to God, Father God's presence is only through Jesus. And the early church actually was referred to, if you remember in Acts chapter 9, there was this guy named Saul of Tarsus. Anybody remember Saul? 
in Acts chapter 9. And what happened in Acts chapter 9? He's on his way to Damascus. And how many of you know the story? That's where he actually saw this brilliant light, and that's where he, had a, he was converted to Christ, right? But it says that he was on his way to round up, excuse me, he was on his way to Damascus to round up followers of the way. So the early church was actually called the way. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He is the exclusive approach. He didn't say a way. He didn't say I'm one of many. He said he is the only way to God the Father. Verse 7 says this. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And again, that, that verse says, if you had really known me, and it's possible. How many of you know it's possible to know about Jesus? but to not know him personally. And he says to his disciples, if you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Imagine that statement. You have seen, he's saying to his disciples, you have seen the father. Verse 8 says this. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still do, don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show you the Father? Why are you asking me to show him to you? Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He is 100% God, 100% man. He is God in the flesh. He is the only one in whom God can be found. That's what he's saying to Philip. And John chapter 1 verse 18 says this, no one has ever seen God. And Philip asked that question. He should have realized. He had a misunderstanding that you know, no one can ever see God and, and live through that experience because we're sinful. God is holy. And John tells us in verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the unique one, and that's Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Jesus is the full revelation of God. Another reason why his disciples need to, to be, can be comforted and they can trust what he's telling them because he's, he is God's representative, 100% authority from God of what he says. He has revealed God to us. He is God incarnate. And the, the Bible teaches us over and over again that Jesus Christ is fully God. He is God the Son. And John chapter 14, verse 10 says this, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Now, he actually had a, a conversation with the Pharisees earlier in John's gospel. And um, they had said, well, you know, John chapter 10, he said, the works he did were evidence that the Father was in him. But because they didn't recognize, that the Pharisees did not recognize him, they didn't recognize who he was, they couldn't know who the Father was. So he says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does the work through me. So he says two things there. He says, the words that I speak are not my own, but God's directly from God. And the works I do are evidence that I came from God. Another reason to promote trust in what he's saying. My Father who lives in me does his work through me. And if they trusted or believed in God, they should trust and believe in him the same way. Verse 11 says this, Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. And believe is the same as trust. Even if you don't believe what I say, he says, the works that I do are clear evidence to promote trust. And John chapter 12 and verse 44 says this. Jesus shouted to the crowds. He says, if you trust me. Now, if is a conditional word. Okay, we have a choice. He says, if you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. Verse 46 I have come as a light to shine in the dark world. And how many of you know we live in a dark world? 
Okay? Anybody listen to the news or watch it on tele or, or watch it on uh, uh, you know online? You can. It doesn't take long to see that we live in a dark world, and he's a light. Let me, let me ask you this question: Would you rather be in the dark or the light? Is it more comforting in the dark or the light? Far more comforting in the light. He says, verse 46, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that, again, those words, so that means there's a purpose, there's a reason for this. All who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. And is it not important, the object of our trust? It doesn't say those who put their trust in their bank account, those who put their trust in their family, those who put their trust in themselves, it says, those who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. And, and folks, there's a lot of people that feel that they're in the dark, that they're wandering. And they feel bound by that. And Jesus is trying to comfort them. And remember what we said in 1 Corinthians, that verse we, look, we looked at. God comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort others. We need to share what God has done in our own life to people around us who are hurting, who have that broken heart, who need to be encouraged, who need to be comforted. Let's look at this. Uh, we have a song that we're going to, a uh, video song that we're going to look at right now. Let's look at this together because I think it really uh, nails this, this message, this point home. Let's look at it together. There's a lie at the end of the trail. Hey, I'm Todd Smith. Have you ever had those moments where you feel like you're never gonna get out of the darkness? You know, where the anxiety, and the depression, and the worry are so heavy you can't see past the moment. Jesus promised in this life that there will always be troubles. There always will. But as the song says, there is a light at the end of the trouble. We always have hope because of who Jesus is. darkness fills my life when my faith is running dry when my heart is on the ground I listen to the sound of the beauty in the night of creation shining bright sun the earth and the stars There's a lie at the end of the troubles There is hope for those who believe There is peace that flows like a river Jesus Christ has set us free I was a doubting, broken man I put the hole
How many of you agree with that song? There's a light at the end of the trouble. Isn't that true? Jesus Christ has set us free. And there's, again, folks, there's so many people around us that we come in contact with every day that need to hear this truth. They need to hear that there is hope. There is a light at the end of the darkness. Because when you're going through that trouble, your heart is broken. When you're in despair, sometimes it feels like there is no hope. And it feels like you're in bondage. But Jesus Christ can set us free. Amen? Do you agree with that? Look with me, John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift. And a gift, how many of you know, that's not something that you can earn. That's something that you can only receive. Peace of mind and heart. Because in this world, there's trouble. You will be in despair. It's dark. We need to know who is the source. So not only is he the source of comfort, we learn here that Jesus is the source of our peace. I am giving you a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. The world, look at the world. The world's not going to be able to give you that gift. The world's going to give you, you know, anxiety, right? Trouble. That's what the only thing the world can offer. He says, so don't be troubled or afraid. Another encouragement, another reason to promote trust because he can give us peace of mind and heart. Isaiah 26.3 says this, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. And that word, how many of you were here? I think it was four or five months ago. We did a whole series on perfect peace. And we talked about the fact that that means whole wholeness or complete wholeness being completely healed completely mended Jesus the word says you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you remember the object of our trust is Jesus all whose thoughts are fixed on you and the best way I know to do that is to fill your thoughts with his word Fill your thoughts with his word and be in prayer. What does the Bible say? Pray without ceasing, right? We need to be in and have a, have a lifestyle of prayer. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And remember, peace is not the absence of trouble, but it's the presence of God in the midst of trouble. And there's a test to determine if you have peace. Do you remember what that test is to determine if you are experiencing God's peace? Can you sing in the midst of the trouble? Can you sing in the midst of the difficulties? Can you sing? That's the test to know. Remember, it's one thing to say you trust God. Okay? It's a whole other thing to experience that peace and to trust him genuinely. Can you sing in the midst of the trouble? John 16, verse 33 says this. This is kind of Jesus summing up what, he's, what he said to his followers. He says, I have told you all this, all this about me, and I've given you all this comfort so that the reason is you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. I mean, do you, does everybody understand that there's trials and sorrows here on earth? There's trials and sorrows. You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus says, take heart. Be strong. Keep it together. Be encouraged because I have overcome the world. He has overcome. And how has he overcome? He's been raised up, lifted up. Jesus is alive and he's available. He is the source of our comfort. He is the source of of our peace. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word to us this morning, Father. And I pray for those that are listening here in the sanctuary, Lord, and those that might be listening online. And Father, I know that there's people that are hurting out there. I know that there's people that need to hear this message this morning, God, that there is light at the end of the trouble that Jesus came to be a light in the darkness. And I pray for those that are hurting, that are sensing that brokenness this morning, that they would call out to you, that they would 
understand how much you love them, that you sent your only son to die for them, and that he, that he rose from the dead, he's alive forevermore, so that we can experience, we can experience new life. We can be born again. We can have a new start because Jesus says, overcome death. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to encourage you to pray with me, prayer to, to reaffirm our faith in Christ. And those of you that are here this morning, if you have never received Jesus Christ, this is an opportunity. You can pray with us and just commit your heart to him. It's simple prayer. You're just talking to God. And you're receiving that gift that he offers. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I know that you love me because you sent Jesus to die for my sin, to shed his blood, to wash away my sin. I am sorry for my sin. And I ask you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus died and that he rose again, and that he's alive forevermore. And I believe that you are knocking on the door of my heart, and I invite you in to be my Lord and to be my Savior. I commit my life to follow you, and help me, Lord, to be a conduit that you can use to comfort and bring peace to those that need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. He is victorious. Jesus has overcome. Amen? He is our healer. He is the only one that can mend us. And I want to encourage you this morning. If you're here, if you need prayer, we're going to be here. I want, to, I want you to come forward. After the service is dismissed, we're going to have folks here that will pray with you. We will join our faith with you. Those of you that have accepted Christ, I want to encourage you to, to go to the back to the connections desk. There's a, there's a bag there. It has a Bible. It has a, a video. It has some other things that will inspire you. I want to encourage you to pick that up before you leave. Those of you that might be uh, visiting with us this morning, we also have a gift for you. I think there's a coffee mug there or something, maybe something even better than that. Something. Um, also, if you would, pick up the connection card that's next to your seat or on your seat if you would look at it with me. And it simply says, if you or someone you know is feeling troubled this week, remember to go to God as your source for comfort and healing. And if you agree with that, you can check that off. Put your name and your address, put it in the tithe box, and let us know that you agree with, with us on that. Everybody else, God bless you. Hug somebody's neck, shake their hand, give them a high five. Welcome them if, they, if this is their first time this morning. Make sure you let somebody know that they're welcome here. God bless you. You are dismissed. Thank you. Thank you, Rob.